0: Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Rob Turley, your host of Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm the co-founder, co-CEO at White Rabbit Intel. It's a little artificial intelligence company where you can work smarter instead of harder, right? So today I have a very special guest with me. I've been very excited to do this podcast because this guy is brilliant. And he also has just a, a glorious attitude and personality, which is one of my favorite things in people is the personality, probably the most attractive feature in anybody, no matter who they are. So Today I have Brian Burkhardt. He's an incredible guy. He's been on God knows how many tech talks, a uh, Ted talks, excuse me. He's been, an, uh, he's been a part of so many different things. He has a book that is incredible. You should give it a read. He will, uh, you know, that'll be on the end credits and everything. He'll tell you where to find that and all that good stuff. And uh, he's worked with several teams that went through Shark Tank, If you're not familiar, that's where the entrepreneurs go to get ridiculed by uh, very, very wealthy people. It's fantastic, I love the show, because sometimes you just see some stuff on there, like how did you even get accepted into this product? (laughs) It's too funny. So Brian, please. Rob, how are you, man?
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I I love the intro, and let me just make a couple of things clear. I have coached people 26 times specifically on their TED talks, we've had ten teams on Shark Tank, hundreds of entrepreneurs who have had help with raising funds. We've helped them with their pitch, and clearly, no surprise. Oh, gazillions—that's an official, of course, empirical number. Of course, of, uh, salespeople, sales organizations helping them with their sales pitch, and it all starts with our core belief. Both me as a founder, but certainly my firm, Square Planet. We believe in elevating people, in elevating people. And so the work that I do, Rob, it's about really giving people resources to combat the problem of broken business communications. Truth of the matter is people suck. And it is the number one soft skill, according to Harvard, to make us a better individual within any organization is the ability to communicate from email to uh, presentation, you name it. If we can't talk our way at all out of wet paper, we're in deep trouble. And that is, unfortunately, the status quote for most. And so our firm exists to help elevate people to be better than they've ever been before. That's a long way of me saying, I really appreciate the chance to be on your podcast. And of course, you know, we're fraternity
0: brothers, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Different chapters, but it's all the same, right? Uh, different decades, Rob. <laughs> yes. Hey, different the chapter chapters, still counts. I just decades. went to a whole gathering out in uh, Maryland where it's uh, people from the ages in the, in their 60s all the way down to their 20s so we get I together actually, it's called summer duel. it's a great time but uh i like what you said with the communication thing because my god it is the most broken system and like what you you know that old saying it's not what you know it's who you know well i would disagree because it's missing something it's not what you know it's who you know sure what you know helps drive you there be if take action on it but who you know is great but you have to be able to communicate what you need what you desire and what your ask is properly so if the communication is not there i don't care if you know every single person who's ever lived if you cannot communicate well it is absolutely useless because they will not help you they will not help you drive your vision and you need to have a very deeply ingrained purpose driving it behind it right
1: you're a thousand percent right and it gets really interesting and deep this stuff can be very heady. Uh, I'll give you a quick story. One of our clients, this was a number of years ago when I was still based in Chicago, I'm now in Phoenix. One of our clients was a really incredible organization, uh, billions with a B of annual revenue. And the woman that ran the place was just one of my most favorite people on the planet. She was a spectacular, is a spectacular lady. She's charismatic. She's warm. She's deeply intellectual, super, super smart, but she's also a lot introverted and there were tons of reports about her doing things like uh, walking around the office multiple floors large group and she would do things like get on an elevator with other members of the team and not a word would be said she would look oh, down no she might look at her phone and the perception was that she was either aloof cold
0: yeah cold hearted
1: cold hearted you know any of the above none of which were true And one of the things that we worked on was the notion that when she would do things like get on an elevator and not say a word, she was actually communicating. It's not always what you say, there's a lot to it. And so it's one of those kind of things. When I say business communications is broken, you don't have to look far. And I start by saying, look in the mirror and you will quickly see how broken it is. It is definitely an area that everyone needs improvement on, me very much included. I make all kinds of mistakes. I'm a human. It's part of the deal. But I'm at least aware of my mistakes and aware of the notion of improvement. And that's the first step. Most people are kind of stuck and say, I'm good.
0: And they're not. That's so true. I mean, awareness is the first step to anything. It's like any 12 step program. uh, Admitting the problem is the first step to recovery, right? any recovery program. They seem to have worked over the ages, sort of, kind of. But we're that's both the thing. fine, Rob.
1: We're doing okay, right? I mean, you yeah. know, understand knowledge, maybe?
0: Yeah, right. right. Could be. Who knows? But Who knows? yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Is, right? It's all about that awareness and being aware of yourself and your surroundings and the people around you and trying to understand it puts you ahead of so many other people right off the bat. Because most people, they don't think they have any problems at all. No problems in the world. And if you actually tell them or call them out on an issue because you're trying to give them constructive criticism to help them improve. You often get a lot of combative behavior back at you or they go straight into denial.
1: Well, denial is more than a river in Egypt, that's for damn sure. And it's clearly one of those kind of things where I get why people are defensive. No one wants to be called out on their stuff. And so having that open growth mindset, it's not easy, but it is a choice. And I fully agree with you. It's something that the best tend to get better right i mean you see it all the time you see people that really you kind of look and go man that that person's got it all going on well it's probably not by accident that growth it takes a lot of work work.
0: it really does self-improvement is the hardest thing in the world but you have to look in to be able to see out that's the thing is that you've got blinders on like a horse if you are just not looking in you're looking out any way that you want to see it is direct tunnel vision and it keeps you from getting that progress that you need to improve truly and how you expect to understand you know that saying uh it's it's uh you need to learn to love yourself before you can love somebody else it's the same you need to understand yourself and your communication before you could properly communicate with others
1: probably the hardest work you can do is looking internally right i mean First, you you see some scary stuff that you may not want to deal with. Oh, yeah. And two, more than anything, you have no one else to blame if it doesn't go the way you want it to. And so that can be pretty difficult. I I, I can tell you this. I was actually in your part of the world. This is a couple of years ago. I was in D.C. and I was uh, staying at the Hilton where Ronald Reagan was shot. Sidebar. Interesting little factoid. And I was watching two guys. Uh, It was morning, you know, like there's the kind of coffee, almost like a little whatever that hotel Starbucks was. Uh, And we're all kind of just eating a little breakfast, having coffee, doing our work independently. And I see these two guys in military uniforms. I think they were Navy. And it was very clear to me that in just a few hours, they were both going to individually be presenting. One guy was talking about how he was going to stay fully firm, right behind the lectern, not move at all, use his notes. He was going to be a plant in a planter. The other guy was... All about, I'm going to roam. I'm going to not use notes. I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to use the whole stage. And they were both equally justifying their approach. Of course, laughed, did they were, and sat in my own little silence thinking about how both of them are inherently wrong in some regard. But that notion of justifying things, of justifying essentially everything, it is part of the human condition. I absolutely am guilty of it. I've done it today. I justified why I slept an hour later. I mean, we do this kind of justification in the moment, and the truth of the matter is is the moment you do that is when you subvert your own growth. And so I know we're maybe getting a little off what our intended topic was, but all of this stuff is interrelated to improve, to be better, to do more, which actually helps your firm, clearly yourself. All those things are rooted in your own core beliefs, your own mindset. And when you get stuck, there's only one person to blame,
0: yourself. Yep, that's you. That's you. And that's the thing. The way that I look at it is that there are two truths in this world. I've said this a million times. There's a can and I can't. And the one that you decide to believe is the one that's true to you. They're both synonymously true, but it is just a choice. Simply. That's it. It's choice. Is your
1: your podcast always this philosophical? We are very deep. I feel like this is, uh, you know, philosophy
0: with Rob and Brian today. Very existential of us. I like this. Yeah. Existential is good. People need more of it because they avoid it at all costs. Because, you know, everybody has these existential breakdowns and all that stuff and they start freaking out. They don't want to look in anymore because it scared them. But you need to get over that fear to make that happen, right? You have to get over the fear because fear is just, (laughs) I almost said fear is weakness leaving the body, but that's not true. Fear is something that is pushing against you that you need to push through. It's not something to block you. It's a barrier to breach. That's what it is. When you get over the fear barrier, that's when you start unlocking your potential. And it's so important to get over that because the fear, you have to break through it. You need to get over that fence because that's where all the spoils are on the other side.
1: I live in Phoenix, Arizona now and you know it's summer, it's hot. We have rattlesnakes, it's real. And uh, we've had a couple of sightings in my neighborhood. And I will admit that my fear is high and my action around that is to run like a scaredy little cat. I get far, far away. And I'm really trying for real. And I know this sounds ridiculous and a bit bombastic, but the truth of the matter is I really am trying to improve because I recognize how ridiculous it is. Now, rattlesnakes, that's maybe I have some built in, you know, wiseness of avoiding, but most of the stuff its not going to hurt you. Right. And yet I still have that same reaction. It is a matter of understanding and trying to overcome as stupid and sophomoric as that example might be. It is germane to this
0: conversation. That That is true. That is true. Although it is something that can literally kill you. So there is that, right? You well, know, we do have these things, though. It's kind of nuts. They're called gopher snakes.
1: And their survival adaptability is they look like rattlesnakes. They have a very uh, different head. It's much leaner. Rattlesnakes have kind of this boxy hexagonal head. Yep. And, of course, a rattle. Gopher snakes, they look just like them, but different head, no rattle.
0: And it's kind of crazy. But, boy, I'll tell you, I don't like any of them. I'll admit it. Yeah, no snakes. Snakes are like little mini Satan's, in my opinion, you know, there's just little little devils going around. I mean, my God, how did that even happen in the world of evolution? But uh, to get back to it, though, uh, I do want to talk about the three C's of business, the thing that you like to drive in business. Of course, we started with communication, but then that leads to clarity, conviction and connection. Those are the three C's behind communication, which just so also so happens to be a C, right? So that's pretty exciting. And clarity is something that people really do not drive by any means. I'm guilty of it where I'm not clear enough. I'll give someone very clear instructions. It's clear to me, but it's not clear to them, which means I don't understand their communication style well enough.
1: There's a lot to this, and I appreciate you bringing it up. More than anything, when I say that business communications is broken, it's often a combination of one, two, or all three of the three Cs of, as you said, clarity, conviction, and connection. And spending a little time on clarity for just a second, we have all uh, read white papers or memos, even emails, stock reports, you name it. We have all sat through presentations, big, small keynotes that matter to little internal meetings. Any number of things, and we're kind of befuddled and left with a, huh, why say? That happens with such regularity that people don't stop and question it to the point of there are just so many examples of meetings, often sales pitches, where there will be a complete and utter lack of clarity, where a message is being transmitted and the receiver really doesn't know what's going on. And for any number of reasons, they don't say, I don't get it. I, I'm lost. They just people kind of don't like to admit
0: that they don't know something because guess what? In public school or even in private schools, they were ridiculed for not knowing the answer. And that's part of the problem. People would make fun of them. Oh, this is the dummy right over here and everything like that. So people fear asking questions because they fear being wrong and making mistakes. But the most successful people in the world lean toward failure because it's the only way to learn.
1: Well, I'm certainly not one of the most successful people in the world, but I am really comfortable, really comfortable being the guy in a group setting going, I have no idea what you just said. And it's wildly powerful. You see a whole bunch of people on my side going, I didn't get it either. Everyone starts to say it from my perspective. That notion of clarity is, is, it's in many ways a universal truth. And it can absolutely be something that people can, I mean, when I say people, I mean organizations, individuals, you can improve. And think of it like from a sales pitch. It is so easy to get caught into the technical weeds of how a product, a service might work. It's so easy. Oh, to no one
0: gives a shit. No, no one one they really shit. don't. They don't. It, it, like, it could be a monkey in a basement on a treadmill that's lighting up a light bulb. If it makes you money, no one cares. It it doesn't matter. It literally, it could be, it could be a pixie dust. It could be little, you know, gophers and leprechauns, you know, hopping on a trampoline. It, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Product and feature selling is the weakest form of sales, and it's the the worst way to actually build a connection with somebody because all you're talking about is what it does, not how it will help them, or how it will solve their problem, or why they need to have it. Why is not explained by features. Everybody's got features. I've got features. You've got features. We all got features. Everybody's got features. It's like Oprah style. You know, you you got a car. You get a car. It's like everybody's got features. No one cares. So. What is it that actually is that determining factor and how do you create that connection with clarity, you can have conviction talking about features sure, but then you're sacrificing the other two, I could see that clarity and connection are very much connected to one another, because if you're not, if you don't have a solid level of clarity with someone, how are you supposed to make a connection with them. It's well, a total disconnect. If you don't have a connection all... with somebody, that's usually because of the lack of clarity. I see those things as two parts of the whole. And if you don't have conviction behind something, the connection's not made either because it seems like you're careless.
1: It seems to me like you might be ready to
0: buy my firm and take over for me. So just, you keep going, Rob, you got this brother. You're good. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to do it. It's just that it's my core beliefs, right? And I went through a lot of pain and suffering of not being able to connect with people very well. I've I had that problem because I think I was too smart for the I mean, I'm not even joking, though, like in, in uh, high school, I used to smoke a shitload of weed because I had done myself down, I even talk to these people. And that that's what I did, because I needed to get to that level. And I wasn't able to connect with people at all. So that was my form of trying to connect with people was doing that to myself, which is definitely not healthy. I mean, I've got nothing against it, but it's it's not I don't do anything like that anymore because I've figured it out.
1: There's a lot to what you just said, uh, and even a step further back. This stuff is very real, and it has much more power than maybe what it might seem on the surface. Let's get into this. I, I'm going to challenge you just a touch, and I want you to consider the notion that when you're in high school and you're using stuff like cannabis to lower your skill set to be around people in a safe, felt sense of belonging kind of way. Yes. That should say that a couple things. One, you are using a very dangerous tool. Not that marijuana is so dangerous, but you're using brain altering chemicals to put yourself in a place where you suddenly feel like you belong. Knowing Maslow's hierarchy, wow. That's one of the most fond- foundational things is the notion of safety and belonging. You've changed your brain chemistry to try to feel that way. Exactly. Plus, when you get old enough, because high school, you're still a kid, you're still under the rule of others. Once you're old enough, really the challenge is stop doing things like altering your brain and start finding the right group of people to be around. That's one of those kind of things where this is adult
0: conversation, right? This is not for teenagers. And and you're not aware that you have a choice when you're that young either, that these are the people who exist in my life and I have to fit within these people or what else do you have? You don't have anything else.
1: Well, and to my point, you're you're a thousand percent right. You're a kid. you are it is what it is. But as adults, we do have the freedom of choice. And so, if you find yourself at odds with the world around you, I don't care if it's your family members, your coworkers, the whatever it is, leave. If it's not the right spot, find the right spot for you based on your core beliefs. This is something that I talk about all the time. really, the the model that we've built to really help salespeople, sell more, connect better, have conviction, have that clarity. We call it the overlap. And it's a simple Venn diagram. And imagine three circles and where they overlap, that little center bullseye, that's where the core belief of you as an individual, the core belief of the firm you represent, and the core belief of the prospect, the person you're trying to sell to, they all sect. When they align is when you're good. Now that's in a sales life. But in life, life, in human life, it should be the same way. You shouldn't occupy things that are disparate from your core beliefs. And when you do that, when that incongruence exists, life sucks. You want to be around people that make you feel safe and that you
0: belong. That is what core beliefs are all about. You don't need weed to make you feel that way. Exactly. Exactly. And it took me years to figure that one out. Uh, But yeah, I would would agree with you with that Venn diagram too. So part of I don't want to be talking about my business too much. But part of what we do is that it is psychographic analytics. And what that means is that we actually align those core beliefs, values, aspirations, interests, professional skills, and so on. And that's how we're able to tie connections of people together to say, this is the person you get in touch with because you have an 86.2% probability of having a positive encounter that will result in an effective business relationship. We literally that's predict that with all the data that's out there. That's what we do. And then we could tell you that these people, you've got a 1% or less chance of actually building a true, real connection with them. Why would you reach out? Completely eliminate. This eliminates 95% of all prospects or leads generated through any service or anything. So rather than doing that 1% success ratio on cold outreach, a list of 10,000 people, reaching out to 10,000 people for what? 100 conversations? What the hell's the matter with you? Like, what, what is that?
1: That's bad sure. math, but that is. I'll tell you what, the thing I love about this, Rob, more than anything, close to you guys for coming up with all this, is the best salespeople, the ones that crush quota regularly, the ones that get the jacket at the end of the year and go on the president's club trip, those guys. Guys being a, a non binary gender neutral t- word there, please. Um, the thing about those people that crush quota consistently, they jettison bad prospects quickly. They know when a deal is never gonna happen. They That's do right. not waste their time, energy, and effort on stuff they bad fit, move on. And Fast you have now made
0: that- process exactly and it. also the power to say, understanding their right, their power, and their initiative towards saying no. Yep. A bad and- fit prospect that buys is more detrimental than chasing one that won't. And it sounds like you guys have built a tool to create empirical evidence to
1: say, don't waste your time here, go here instead. That's it's brilliant.
0: The qualified data into actual quantifiable data that is accurately predictable.
1: So what we need is to somehow join forces with your very analytical approach, with mine much more esoteric, uh, informative, emotional approach. We need that, yeah. Get sales get salespeople both tools and they'll basically be, you know, 10 for 10. They'll never miss. Yeah,
0: exactly. And we're actually looking for someone like yourself right now.
1: I do think and you should partly. just buy my company. Make me an offer I can't refuse,
0: Rob. I got to go <laughs> golf and relax. I'm getting old. It's time. Yeah, but we need minds like yours. That's the thing. We need minds like yours. And, you know what? Uh, I actually just know.
1: learned this. This is true. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll give you a guess first. The youngest retirement age, mandatory legal retirement age in the entire world, one country, it's 49. I am already older than that by a couple of years. What country do you think is that? 49 years, mandatory retirement. Mandatory retirement,
0: huh? That's got to be... Here, I'll give you a big hint. It's got to be Thailand or it's got to be the Philippines. It's neither. Here's my
1: hint. We'll give you a second choice. Then we'll phone a friend named me. Uh, That country is very wealthy because clearly it has to be able to have a lot of really young retirees live for a long time and not drain the system this country is well,
0: monaco
1: oh i like the way you're thinking the united arab emirates united arab
0: emirates 49. yeah the uae would make sense i mean yep. they've got a budget right now of 789 billion dollars just yeah, try real. out technology
1: that's real so i think the net net is you and i both need to retire because someone from the uae needs to buy us
0: so there it is well, I don't want to sell because I want to build an empire. I'm ready to be done. <laughs> oh, well, then, you no, know, we're going to have to continue this conversation offline. I don't want to just hijack the conversation with it, but I hope everybody just learned something right there.
1: I am not um, willing to be done. I'm with you. I'm not looking to build an empire. I've got a good 15 years left in me of hard work, uh,
0: but I, it's I'm doing the right kind of project. Oh, I, like smart you, Like work. you
1: said, smart work. I'm saying no.
0: Yeah. Saying no, because working with people you don't want to work with is detrimental. It takes up so much time and resources. So people need to understand that. And then that going back to the communication, the clarity, the connection. No doubt. Is that when people are not a good fit for your company, it is total sacrifice. And there is no reason to ever sacrifice. There's risk. You give so that you can take. You put things up at risk and that risk will warrant an award if it is successful. There's a purpose behind it. Sacrifice is giving up something for absolutely no reason. Well, that's said. the difference. There's risk and then there's sacrifice. Sacrifice is if you don't know what the hell's going on or you think it's necessary, that's that it's a delusion. It's absolute nonsensory. There's no reason for that. It is all risk because if there's no reward, why are you doing it? You're right. You're right.
1: Uh, I feel like I have taken us down the rabbit hole. See what I did there? <laughs>
0: yeah, right. It's great. So next thing here is the core beliefs based off of everything that we've just talked about is why don't more people, more firms, more companies, anybody really understand and do something about it?
1: You know what? You're asking a million dollar question that I don't have an answer to. So the notion of having a core belief is actually really simple on the surface. It's far more challenging to do at a high level then it might appear. And it's wildly different than a mission statement or a vision. It really, really is. I started by telling you, when you asked me to introduce myself, that as the founder of Square Planet, as a firm, certainly they're the same. One is a mirror of the other. But our core belief is to elevate people. Elevate people. That tells us what our actions are going to be. That means I'm not going to be a dick. If I'm going to give someone some feedback, if I'm going to help them on their ability to communicate more effectively, if I'm really going to live my core belief of elevating people, I'm going to say it in an affirming, loving way. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to hold back the truth, but I'm not just going to be like, you suck, go away. I'm going to say, that's one approach. Let me give you an alternate that you might find more effective. It's a different sort of mentality, but it's all about at its core, Knowing what we stand for, the truth of the matter is, is that the vast majority of firms have never taken the time to really look at their origin story, why they exist in the first place. Things get in the way, like committees and change of leadership. You know, some of this stuff is just almost unfathomable to me because we see brands, big brands like Ben and Jerry's or Tesla, big brands that people love. And the reason they love them is because their core beliefs are so well
0: codified. They're so well known to the masses. That's what Mm -hmm. creates the culture behind the business. And that's why Apple has a cult following. Tesla has a cult following. The only way that you can achieve that is by having the values and the culture of the company flow through the business. It is the blood and the veins of the company pumping around, making everything happen. When they have that disconnect, that's when you'll start seeing disasters happen. You'll start seeing you know, the companies that really just fall off stock. The stock price just dips and everything. People only value things that they believe in. And anything is only worth as much as people think it's worth. That's why public companies, it's about that next press release. It's about that promise. It's about what's in the pipeline, not what's closing. It's about what's going to happen, not what will happen. It's about the idea that they're actually projecting toward the public of what they think it's worth anything. Perfect example is Nikola. They have nothing. They had nothing. They had a blueprint that wasn't even complete, half-baked blueprint, and then they go out, they IPO it, and then boom, what do they get? About $450 million is what their va- it's the value of their stock. And what have they done? Nothing. You know what there was? A promise that they were gonna do business with GE. You know what happened? It fell through the cracks. Then a promise what? that made there a, a, a even further yeah. that they were gonna do business with USPS. You know what happened? It fell through the cracks. There you is know that they have- nothing.
1: Did you know that they're a client of ours? We did their humongous, big public launch of their Nikola One truck. That was our work. The biggest projects I did, biggest single project I did in 2019 was something called Nikola World, where they launched their truck for the first time. Um, Really interesting organization
0: has gone through some massive upheaval, including the CEO getting bounced. My God. And then he completely trashed the float value by just selling all the stock, taking all their money. It was such a dick move.
1: Well, he's a multi-billionaire now with a B, which is crazy. That yeah, he's, said, a, he's a
0: dick, he's a, he's a rich dick. That's what he is.
1: He has left behind um, a better firm because he's gone and the people that are there, there's some really solid humans, really solid. And that's humans. the thing is
0: that the company was great, but the leadership was just, you know, it, it was just awful. And that's the thing, when he left, he was the reason that business was broken because it is a top-down process of culture, of how people feel, how people communicate. And he was candidly undermining the the business just by being himself.
1: The saying is the fish rots from the head down. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna trash anyone there, including him, just because that seems like a bad idea. I will tell you this, that um, those that have remained you'd be impressed. These are some
0: really, really solid humans. And that
1: tech is cool.
0: Oh, oh so no, it really it is, man, is, man not, is cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm actually a pretty hefty investor in the business. So I have a lot of respect for the company. And I think they have a future. I just think what I'm trying to portray is how the public was played just by Here, good I'll, communication.
1: I'll give you one that might feel a little bit more appropriate for the Joe average who may not know this firm that we're talking about. Let's go to McDonald's. Everyone knows McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. I have a really long, twisted uh, relationship, a very high degree of affinity towards McDonald's. It's a big part of my career. And yet I can sit here and tell you that if you read my book, I repeatedly take them to task. And so it's a a loving relationship because I want them to do well, but they just suck and have for some time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been or heard of an In-N-Out Burger? Do you know what In-N-Out Burger is? Absolutely. Very much a West Coast thing, right? And so I'm out here in Phoenix. We're about, um, as we sit right now, as I sit, maybe two miles from an In-N-Out Burger. It is the middle of the afternoon. And the In-N-Out Burger that I'm thinking of has a McDonald's across the street. I promise you, I guarantee you that right now there's a line at least 10 cars deep in the drive through in and out and no more than one at the McDonald's across the street. And it's like that every day, no matter what in and out knows exactly what they stand for. You're going to get a burger, fries, shake, move on. That's it. Their menu is like five items. It's that simple. McDonald's, that's the, that's the thing. McDonald's, if you would like a salad that's somewhat, in their mind, healthy, in air quotes, great. If you would like a kid's meal of mandarin oranges, fine, great. If you want coffee for senior citizens, unlimited refills for 45 cents, And at the same time, if you want a special latte from McCafe, fine. They are so all over the board. You can't have diet food and burgers, fries, and shakes. You can't have cheap unlimited coffee and specialty barista-made drinks. You can't. They don't know what they stand for. If McDonald's made the choice and said, we stand for family, We're going to live in our menu. We're going to have something for every generation of the family at a price that Americans can afford. They would fundamentally change the game and be back in it. What they are right now is a confused mess. And that's not to rip on McDonald's per se. It's to use it as an example because I guarantee most people listening, and by people I do mean, again, both individuals and the organizations they represent, have not taken the time to codify their core beliefs. This shit is hard. It is yeah. not for the faint of heart for we me we to recently get to elevate- just did an
0: exercise like that at my business. And it took us three and a half months to go through the process. Meeting wow. twice a week, every week for one to two hours, each meeting, it took us three and a half months to know who we were. It was that difficult. And the entire organization was involved. I can tell you this, I will
1: gladly tell people to go read my book. It's a good book. It's also wrong. Rob, my book is wrong. I speak repeatedly about our core beliefs as a firm in my Mm -hmm. book, and I talk about it, make waves. And I say, we're out here in the desert. There's no water. The waves we make are not of the aquatic variety. That's actually how we do our work. It's not why we do it. It's how. I had it wrong, and I literally wrote the book on it. This stuff is brutal. It took the pain of of 2020, the pain of COVID. That was the only silver lining that I could really find, is it actually helped me uncover my true purpose, my full reason to be why we exist is to elevate people. How we do that is by making waves. What is it? It's creating marketing and business messages that people could never do on their own. That's what it's all about. And it's not easy. And so I'm the guy that wrote the book on it and it took me
0: a long time to figure out I was wrong. Yeah. And so like ours, it's to create time so people can achieve more. That's pretty good. That's it. It's not. And what do we do? We we build advanced artificial intelligence. You go, da, 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 da. It's not any of that. Our mission: democratize AI. That's just the mission. That's the what. Mm-hmm. But why? To create time. And help people achieve more. That's it. That's all it is. That's the I idea. That. And look how simple Apples is, for example. Look how simple Six Senses know everything. I mean, it's, it's so oh, excuse me. It's so simple, that it's kind of ridiculous. uh, But that's the thing is that why and the why does not have to resonate at a functional perspective. And that's what people make the mistake of. It's that they go down the functional, why are we doing this? Oh, well, we're doing it. There's your mission. Why are we doing this? It's for, oh, that's your purpose. Why are we doing this? No, the why has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has to do with what you're trying to leave behind. What, what is the legacy thought, the legacy thought behind what it is that you're trying to push society forward with? There's one more part to it that I think is worth mentioning,
1: and you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, Let's play this little game. Have you and lie if you have to here work with me Rob have you ever uh, I'm, a lot across... of things, but I'm not a liar <laughs> I know have you ever stumbled across someone and after a five minute and no more than five minute conversation have you been able to fundamentally change their political beliefs yes I knew you were gonna say that absolutely but absolutely impossible there is not a there's no one that in five minutes you can switch beliefs,
0: not like switching from like conservative to whatever. So I don't believe in actually any party partisan anything. It's actually, it's this whole convoluted thing that pisses everybody off. I I changed a political belief, not beliefs, not like a whole thing, just one small aspect.
1: That's fair. I, I will say though, let me, for my little example here, note the idea that changing someone from left to right, from liberal to conservative, or the opposite. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen, right? (laughs) not going to happen. And so what happens is, is without ever really being stated, it's kind of an underlying truth. When firms, organizations work on trying to figure out what their core purpose is, like creating time, which is brilliant, by the way, what can happen is there's a little underlying current that says, well, I don't want to piss people off. I I don't want to eliminate some potential market share. That's wrong you actually are trying very desperately to find your people. You're trying to find people that believe what you believe much the same way that you can't convert someone to your political ideology. We have our set set of beliefs. That's just kind of the way it is. And sure, there's some gray area. You can have people that might decide to go on one side or the other, but what you're really trying to do is market by saying, here's what we're all about. These are the things we stand for. If you agree, great, come on over. When I say things like I'm here to elevate people, there is a large group of people who say, good, I'm in. I'd like to shove them in the dirt.
0: There's a whole nother of people want to shove them in the dirt, use them up. And then, you know, uh, pretty much they they want to wrangle the sheeple.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so those people aren't for me, right? Like they have no desire to get a guy like me on board, but then there are plenty, plenty, plenty of commerce, enough money, and then some to be made of those that do want to elevate that's why this
0: why notion this purpose this core belief thing is so and that ties into something that i love to talk about with people because it's such an undervalued thing is it ties directly into business into sales is that so many companies just target we could do business with anyone okay so mistake do i no okay so you do this linkedin search this is our ideal customer you have 1.26 million results. Now tell me this. I ask them this when when they're like this. I'm like, "So why tell me, why don't you have 1.26 million customers then?" You have 50. What what's that all about? Don't you have 1.26 million perfect customers? Why don't they do business with you? Oh, because you know, we just haven't uh we you know, we uh I don't you know, it, it's just there's no excuse for it. It's because they're not they don't believe in anything it's just that you're going but okay they have this title they're in this industry they're in these two really broad regions like uh the US the UK and the EU congratulations that's like half the world's population like what what are you doing uh so beyond that point though the point i'm trying to make here is that there is a specific grouping of people where if your core beliefs are not founded in depth what is the reason they will do business with you not a product nobody buys a product they rent outcomes and when they're done renting that outcome and they find something better they rent the new outcome they move on but what is the thing that is holding them to the outcome sure they got an outcome it's great they can get another outcome from someone else it's the same shit or better what's holding them there it is the culture it is the feeling that they get is the relationship that has been built there are plenty of things that i don't buy because simply because I like doing business with the other people because of what they believe and what they do for me as an individual, not just for me. business. That's exactly how it works. Exactly. It's a motive at the end of the day. Buying procurement, anything like that. People say, oh yeah, no, you know, uh, this business buys from me. No, that person buys from you at that business. Why? Because of you. People buy to do business with you, not your business. They are buying you, the ability to work with you. And that is such an understated thing. People don't really understand what that means. It's not like two buildings rub together and then money starts flying in the air. That's not how it works. I had Fred Copestake on another podcast and it's called PQ or partnering quotient. And that's how business is done. Your clients are your partners. If you don't treat them like a partner where they scratch your back, you scratch theirs and you take care of each other equally, you care about each other, then that business isn't gonna last very long.
1: I don't know Fred, but I've seen lots of stuff that he's pumped out on LinkedIn. He's a real, he's a real bright guy. I like Fred. Yeah. I don't know him, but I like him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We get along really well. You should check out the, uh, I think it was the last podcast episode that came out. I just did one with him. It was fantastic. Hilarious too. It was funny as all hell. I'd like to talk with
1: him. He seems like my kind of guy.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you get along with him for sure. You would absolutely get along with him. That's pretty cool. So, Okay. A little aside right here, I know it's not a great transition, but I need to get into this is that best presenters and worst presenters. Now we're talking about communication, how businesses do business with one another. Honestly, I don't I don't use a single presentation when I sell unless it's an enterprise who specifically asks for it. Because who the hell wants to sit through a freaking present? Use visual aids. Don't just talk in front of a screen. Nobody wants to watch that. You're just going to put them to sleep. But um, what is the best presentation you've ever seen? Hands down. It's a no brainer.
1: Uh, the author of good to great Jim Collins um, I had the very fortuitous opportunity to work with him he was speaking at a healthcare conference that we were producing and I was assigned to him as the executive producer as the content guy to get him up to speed to make sure that he knew about our group which is about 3,000 people so it was a nice-sized group um, and he's I mean he's you know Stanford professor knows everyone knows everything really really solid dude and the thing that struck me most about him is that he really listened actively participated made this group his most intense focus for a number of days and then i remember his keynote presentation he had 90 minutes on the agenda 60 minutes to do his keynote 30 minutes to do q a and it's a big ballroom we were in vegas i think and it was the kind of thing think like a stadium with big aisles and lots of seating and we had three stations where there were microphones dropped on stands kind of like this where people could line up and ask a question and this woman got up and she was in the main aisle and she asked a really good question and you could see jim just sort of interest interestingly kind of take it all in you could tell this was a doozy and he said she finished and he said that's a great question let me think about this for a second and what felt like a week and a half was probably no more than about 20 seconds but there were three thousand people in this giant ballroom and you could hear a pin drop as he stood on stage in silent contemplativeness if that's a word contemplation contemplation thank you chief Ford guy. And I mean, it was amazing how every eye was locked on him. And then he gave this incredible answer that was complete and real. And it was just like the thoroughness and thoughtfulness of both his approach and his, and his answer. It was just spectacular. Aaron most-
0: thoughtfulness behind a statement or a response is so much more powerful than a quick jab at any given time Uh, there's uh my head mathematician forrest at my company he's like that where you'll ask him a question there'll be silence for like five seconds but then what he says has the utmost value that you've ever heard you're just like damn right (laughs) every time
1: right and i mean i get it for lots of reasons i get why people would be uncomfortable um as a presenter standing in front of 3,000 people in silence for 20 seconds. I get all that. I do. But yet his ability to just be comfortable in his skin, be fully authentic about who he was. And this was not a flashy, highly entertaining thing. It was just intellectually deep. And the way he commanded the audience, his connection to 3,000 people, the clarity of of his message, and the conviction in his words,
0: spectacular. Jim Collins. Absolutely. And so I guess, well, I'll tell you my favorite, then I'll tell you the best. (laughs) The best one was that I've seen is probably the release of the iPhone by Steve Jobs. You know, seven. you
1: mean back in the the original?
0: Yeah, it was freaking glorious. Let me get back into that,
1: Rob. Let me tell you about this, right? This is my world, right? This is stuff I know. This is both live event, which is a huge part of our world, and presentation. And I have studied this release more than any human on the planet. Do you know when he did that, he used the same technical crew in the same exact location at the exact same time for seven days in a row to practice? He orchestrated, Steve did, literally every single detail. This was Steve Jobs. This was when it was still at the time a humongous publicly traded company with all kinds of money, and yet he was obsessed about getting it right. Think about that lesson. He knew that he had so much on the line. He knew that they had one shot to get it right. And so he did whatever he had to do to make sure that everything was perfect.
0: That's right. I, my grandfather people- always said, there's never enough time to do a job, but there's always enough time to do it right. Well,
1: sp- spectacular words of advice from your grandfather and a lesson that so many people fail to consider. I present for a living and I teach this stuff. And like last week I spoke at a, a sales conference up in Minneapolis and it's the kind of thing where um, I'm talking about stuff that I know inherently. And I've been on a bunch of stages, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Hell yes. I practiced not a little, but a lot. That's what it takes to be great. The good get better. That's just how it works, man.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a constant practice. There's no winning. There is no winning. Yeah. Because you've got to do it again and again and again and again and again. Exactly. But uh, so my favorite though, my favorite is Steve Ballmer, where he just runs in, jumped I'm up. Pretty point. sure he was all coked up, bright red, sweating balls, just yeah. I love this company. Then all the Microsoft heads just start going nuts. It was like, I want to do that myself so bad. like i want to just run in like that and then have people go nuts for like a tech conference like what the hell was happening there what what, what how did he find all these people such a good know,
1: video of that though you know i mean i that's those are the kind of clips do a quick little youtube search it's such good stuff so fun to watch both those
0: oh it is it is glorious it is one of the most glorious things i've ever seen just because the amount of and it's a great word because the glory behind it is just absolutely mm-hmm. absurd What a wonderful, wonderful presentation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with Steve Jobs, my God, he is my top presenter. What he did, the amount of care, intensity, and integrity that was behind every single word that he said and how it was presented is my favorite. So I have a background in design. I based every single presentation that I designed off of Steve Jobs style. And every single time, it was the best presentation of the bunch. Every single time. So I studied him as well because, my God, it is just beautiful what he's done.
1: the the guy had some mad intuition. He knew, I mean, and and of course none of this is going to be groundbreaking here. Everyone knows that he was also a big raging asshole. And so it was this kind of duality that made him so good. He really did not care if people thought good nor bad of him. He was just obsessed with the final outcome. What he worried about. Well, it was, he was obsessed with the outcome for the audience. He had it right. The biggest mistake that happens in all of presentations, sales presentations, interviewing for a job, whatever it is, is people get selfish. They make it all about themselves. And really, it's always about the audience, audience of one, audience of a million. The minute you recognize that it's about them is the minute it gets better. That's something that I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say it before it sticks within the world that I occupy of business communications, clearly more But when people start to recognize that this selfishness is the thing that brings us down as a human race, it's the one, certainly in the world of presentations, but just look around. Look at the way our world
0: is. Selfish, I think, is a misdefined word. Not to combat you on this, but I think the terminology is self-centeredness is the death of humanity. Self-centeredness. But then selfishness is just taking care of yourself, looking for yourself first. You have to put the mask on yourself, then the child. Right. So it's taking care wrong.
1: I think you're probably right on this. Here's the way I always put it this way and it cracks me up because it happens with too much frequency uh, really before COVID. But even now recently I fly a lot. Like I've got a million and a half miles on American. I mean, I fly. Right. Damn. And so I'm in group two. I'm not always in group one. I am sometimes, but I'm usually two, which is I'm like one of the first people on the plane kind of thing. And I'm always stumped by the fact that I'm on group two. I get to my seat and I'm pretty efficient. I don't ever check bags ever, never, never. I get there and there's always Nothing a bag. Never check bags. Like it's the worst, right? Um, but there's always a bag over in, in my overhead. Always. I'm like, how's that possible? I'm group two, right? And when it's time to get off the plane, when it's time to leave, I find out who it is. And all of a sudden you see, ah, this is the person that actually has taken three bags and used more than their fair share, more than their allotment. They are self-centered. And you want that person, you know, kind of, dead. It's awful. It's that same kind of mentality. It's all about me. No, man. It's about your audience. When you learn how to engage with your audience, when you know that it's really about the gift of presenting, root word of presentation is present as in happy birthday, merry Christmas, you're giving a gift. When you learn to give that gift,
0: man, good things happen. All i got to say is damn straight. <laughs> That's all I got to say to that. Because Damn straight. Damn straight. That's it. That's it. And so before we run out of time here, what is the worst presentation you've ever seen? There are I so say, many, what is the worst you've ever witnessed? <laughs> I'll
1: give you two that I witnessed. One was for Boston Scientific. I actually really felt for this guy. It was a director of um, like sales enablement. He wasn't the sales leader. But somehow some way was a, a a sales kickoff conference. And it was his job to announce where next year's trip was going to be. And he did it sort of survivor TV show style they were snuffing out fires and doing all these little things in a pre-produced video, had a helicopter, all kinds of jazz. And then it was sort of like this tease to then bring him to the stage. And he was dressed the same way on stage as he was in the video. So it was kind of a cool creative treatment. He gets on stage and maybe four or 500 people in the room and the poor dude just froze. And I mean like, Buckled. He oh, was just no. done for. And it wasn't the kind of thing um, that was obvious. Like for a few moments, you're thinking, is this part of the shtick? Is this the gag? Like what's. And so this moment of kind of uncomfortableness was a little tiny snowball that morphed into this ginormous one. And much to his qu- credit, the sales leader recognized that w- what was going on, hopped up on stage and kind of took this guy. And led him off stage and took over for him, but he just melted down. That stuff happens. The dude did quit three
0: days later. It was wow, was that bad?
1: Is that bad? That's that means one.
0: emotionally, it destroyed him.
1: It really did. And I mean, I can't say I blame him because it was pretty. It was, and you know, the audience wasn't against him, but it was just the context of that little creative treatment.
0: You just were they sort of, for yes person like it's painful to watch especially if you've done it before if you haven't seen it before you're like ah who is this guy come on if you've been there it's a whole different thing it was something you're just like oh no 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 please no please oh no,
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and then the one that um really stands out to me because it was such a pivotal moment in my life uh i was at the del coronado hotel in san diego beautiful property we were, I was part of the team managing this conference. And so I was not beholden to be, uh, you know, stuck in a seat watching a keynote address. And it was the chief medical officer from Stanford university hospital, chief medical officer, Stanford hospital. We can easily say this is Connecticut out West. Okay. Uh, So we can easily say we're talking one of the top docs on the planet. Smart guy, right? and if there are 10 things you should never do during a presentation he did 11 of them and i'm a worker guy so i'm sitting in the front row kind of a thing going i need not stick around i'm probably four minutes into this guy's keynote address and it's like i'm done i got to get out of here and so five six hundred people in the room i get up and as i walk from the front towards the back i see something that i just can't believe and to this day this is true i can't believe it happened but there were a number of people who had made a conscious choice to get out of their seats, name tags on, and they were laying on the ground sleeping through the top doc from Stanford University, his keynote address. It was the reason we were there. And if you think about the amount of energy, money, time, effort, etc., to get all those people away from family and friends, away from their job, on airplanes, in hotels, all the effort that people like me had put in advance to have this guy up on a stage and suck that bad. That was actually the genesis. That was the moment I thought I got to do something about this. That's where Square Planet was born right then and there. And so I will still mark that as one of those moments of you just had to see it to believe it. But to think that people at a healthcare conference chose to lie on the ground because the presentation was that bad?
0: That's so out of character for them too. Exactly. That is so out of character. I mean that's that's like next level right there. Oh yeah. That is I next mean, level.
1: I've been I've been a part of so many as both a presenter myself as a coach on these kind of things, but certainly as a producer of events. I mean, I've seen so much my maybe my favorite story, though, Rob, you'll appreciate this. This was me. Uh, It was before I lived in Phoenix, but the speech that I was doing was in Phoenix and I was in front of a few hundred people at a really beautiful resort. Um, And I remember I could not get this one gentleman to connect. And it's the kind of thing where I know the theory behind all this stuff and can put it in practice and have almost the unique ability to deliver my content while simultaneously recognizing and going, okay, what's going on? Let me adjust as necessary. And I could see in this group of maybe 300 people, one guy that I just couldn't get them. And so I used a technique that's based on the notion of proximity. I had a wireless sure. microphone on. And so I got off stage and I very slowly made my way towards this guy. And I emphasized a certain point. I punctuated it by being literally right next to him, knowing full well that there is just absolutely no way that he's going to continue to not pay attention what was when he texting? the presenter is right, right next to him.
0: What was he on his phone or something like that? He
1: was on his phone. And so I called him out on it live in the middle of the presentation like, Dude, and he had his name tag on. I forget what his name was. Let's call him Rob. Rob, I'm doing my thing. I've got 300 people fully engaged. I've got one that just could give two craps about me. What's going on here, dude? And I was was very playful. I wasn't a jerk about it at all. He was in the middle of selling his business. He was doing like a $100 million deal. And I basically kicked him out of the room. I'm like, are you kidding? Anything I have to say is utterly useless. There is nothing here that is as important as what you're doing. Get out of here. And it was fun and cool and a great moment. But it is one of those kind of things where there's a lot you can do to keep the audience engaged. You just have to know the tricks and the the tips, the techniques. And, you know, I, I do. And so I can put that stuff into place. But so many people suck and just don't do anything about it. It's
0: painful. Yeah. And I mean, that could have waited, too. I mean, on his end as well, it could have waited. I mean, you don't need to give them a message within two minutes. It's not necessary. I I
1: certainly it was hard for me not to find some humor in all that. I mean, dude was going to make big bank. I mean, that's real money. Right. And it's the kind of thing where he was certainly more focused on that than me. And I totally got it. And I wanted to give him a, a clean break. Like everyone understands as opposed to sitting here doing this, like go focus on yourself. It's okay. It's good. You, it's a hundred million dollars. Go ahead.
0: And so it was kind of a fun moment. I get that. I get that. I mean, that, that's more than reasonable. I'd have to say there's there's nothing that you can really be too upset with him on that. I mean, a no. hundred million dollars in the line. I'd be like, do yeah. what you got to do, man. You got to in the crowd. Go ahead. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Seriously <laughs> exactly.
0: though. But anyway, I want to thank you for your time. We have run out of time here, unfortunately. I could talk to you for hours, but it's amazing uh, how that happens, isn't it? Yeah, you know it was really a pleasure, and uh, I want everybody to know that this is uh, this is Brian Burkhart. and he is the founder of Square Planet, which is an incredible company. If you're looking to improve communication in your business, if you're looking to really tie down those presenting skills and do something incredible with good intentions and ethical purpose behind it, he's your guy. Well, Rob, I really
1: appreciate the chance to be on your podcast. It's been a pleasure to meet you both here and before. I hope it continues. Uh, You know, I I would just leave you with this. The last thing you said, that notion of ethical, 100%, brother. Well said. Elevating people means doing the right thing. We take a very real, serious, hard line in the sand approach about that. Um, You'll see that in all the things I put out on LinkedIn and other places. But check us out at squareplanet.com. Think round earth squareplanet.com. And I look forward to engaging with you and all your listeners. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, of course. No, the pleasure was mine. And uh, everybody here again, I am Rob Turley, your host of Down the Rabbit Hole podcast, co-founder, co-CEO at White Rabbit Intel. And this was brought to you by and sponsored by White Rabbit Intel. You guessed it, where you can know more, win more, and close often. It's a lot of fun. Sales enablement and sales intelligence, artificial intelligence that will help you make time. That's 100% right there. So you can follow us pretty much on any streaming platform. And uh, please, if you mention us, use hashtag DTRH podcast. That's all one word, of course, because the hashtag. And um, yeah, you can find it at podcasts.whiterabbitintel.com if you want the direct link. Anyway, thank you so much. And look forward to talking to everybody again or talking with everybody again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, follow down the rabbit hole podcast for new episodes weekly on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and YouTube. If you'd like to apply to be featured on the podcast or recommend a featured guest, please feel free to email us at theteam at whiterabbitintel.com.